This is March 10th, 2022, and uh, I feel compelled to offer some thoughts about uh, the Ukraine war. Uh, I've been wanting to uh, gather together some reflections on it, and and uh, and then I listened to Sensei John's uh, Taisho from last Sunday, and I thought at first, well, what can I add to that? Uh, he did seem to cover just about everything, and I felt by the end that uh, I could have, uh, I would have said much of the same that he did, but uh, since that, uh, I decided not to abandon uh, this this talk and uh, instead uh, just expand a little bit on what he said, all of which I agree with. Uh, maybe agree isn't the word. It's not like he took a position, um, and nor will I. It's, I'm not going to have answers, really, with this. Uh, I once read that uh, the job of a Zen teacher is not to provide answers, but to sharpen the questions. And uh, I think that's the most I can do. So this, uh, this invasion of Ukraine by Russia, uh, it's an unfolding tragedy that invites uh, an investigation of the first precept. Uh, that's something that uh, Sensei didn't uh, cover much in, in his Taisho. You only have so much time. So I can just uh, branch off and talk about the first, pre first precept. First precept, of course, is uh, not to kill, but to cherish all life. And uh, let me first say that uh, as, as anyone uh, will remember who's heard uh, my commentaries on the precepts, uh, they are subject to interpretation, these, these 10 cardinal precepts. They're not, they're not uh, moral absolutes. In fact, there are no absolutes in the real world. Absolutes are abstractions. Uh, I think Yasutani Roshi once said in, in interpreting the precepts, we have to consider four things. Uh, time, the time, the place, the position of the person or persons uh, relative to one another, and the degree of the action, time, place, position, degree. Uh, it's, uh, it's easy enough to cling to uh, abstract views. Again, going back to the, that word abstract. Uh, so for example, it's easy enough in a, in a, but is really a very complicated situation there and unfolding in Europe. It's easy enough to cling to the idea of nonviolence. Violence is always, always, always wrong. Well, that sounds very much like dogma. And in Zen, uh, 
know, throughout the centuries, the masters have said that uh, Zen, Zen is beyond dogma. So that's one danger of uh, clutching at the abstraction of the concept of nonviolence in all cases. Uh, the other is the, the concept of combating evil. Okay, we've got uh, obvious evil happening here, and uh, by God, we have to fight it. Yeah, would that it were that simple. Uh, there's this idea out there of the good war. Uh, I first started hearing that that phrase uh, and during the Afghanistan, well, actually during the Vietnam War, uh, commentators were saying, oh, um, it's, it's so much more complicated than World War II, which was a, quote, good war, you know, clear division of good and evil. And then after uh, Vietnam, then there was Afghanistan, there was Iraq, a messy, um, and to some extent, morally ambiguous wars. But is there even such a thing as a good war? There are those who say that uh, that World War II has become this myth of heroism and valor and uh, and uh, virtue on the part of the acts the uh, the allied powers against the forces of evil of the Axis powers. Given what happened, given Nazism, uh, it was a lot less ambiguous than Vietnam, Afghanistan, or, or Iraq. But still... It's it's hard for us as Americans protected to the West and the East by oceans, having just about the best neighbor to the North we could ever want to have, and a, a lot of peace uh, to the South. We are so insulated that uh, who who among us can really speak from really knowing what what's what's going on over there we have to rely on news reports we have to rely on journalists and even then because of the fog of war it's very it's very hard to know what's happening there We see this, this, this absolutely criminal, evil bombing of, of civilians in Ukraine. Uh, now, most recently, a hospital. This uh, really indiscriminate savaging of people there. Uh, and I don't know anyone who would claim that, uh, that Putin has... Uh, 
any kind of moral claim in doing that. Now, I feel obliged to point out that uh, in, in just about any conflict, probably any conflict, let's just say, in any conflict, uh, there's some degree of responsibility on both sides, maybe 90% on one side, uh, but some on the other. And uh, what, what some historians have been saying is it was a terrible mistake for NATO to expand after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, a mistake in, in just in this sense, that it, it created the sense of a great threat to this, this tyrant, Putin, that uh, there were things that that we did that that that, that NATO did that now looking back on it, uh, there are very informed um, historians who say who even said at the time, "Don't do this." George Kennan, the great uh, the great Russian uh, expert, he said, "Do not expand NATO, or you will regret it." Well, I don't have the expertise, I don't know who does, to to say one way or another, but it was a factor. It was a factor in Putin feeling cornered, feeling threatened. Of course, what, what would not leave him feeling threatened? Uh, he does seem to have traits of paranoia. Um, but uh, NATO, NATO forces you could say, really, it to some degree provoked this. And yet, the, the temptation to want to join forces with Ukraine is there, I think, for many of us, because they just seem so completely... Uh, victimized by this. What about this uh, no-fly zone? They're pleading. Zelensky in Ukraine is pleading with us uh, to announce a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And it makes a lot of sense. Of course, Zelensky would do that. Of course, Ukraine would want to be protected from this terrible, terrible bombing, shelling of civilians and, and others. But we it's hard to argue, but that we would be inviting uh, much an expansion of the war in doing that. We have the luxury those of us who are commenting on this have the luxury of not having to dis make these decisions. We have the luxury of armchair strategizing or um, discussions, uh, and we can be grateful for that. Put yourself in the position of, of our president and the other leaders of NATO countries. What would you do? What would we do? We know there are unintended consequences of, of any decision. Iraq, Iraq seemed to many people, 
it's apparently the majority of of people in our country. It seemed to be the noble thing, the virtuous thing to do. Go in and unseat Saddam Hussein. And look how that worked out. We 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 can never know for sure what kind of of what kind of things will 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 come from our decisions what do we do in such a situation I think anyone would agree that uh, if we have the means to send humanitarian aid, that uh, that's pretty clear, clearly something that we we need to do. But military aid, troops, the no-fly zone, I I. I look at uh, all of the massive economic sanctions uh, that have been announced against Russia. And uh, I mean, they're, they, what people say, the experts say, is uh, there's never been such a force, a, 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 a combined force of, uh, of economic pressure for a country to stop war but this is <laughs> this is russia I, I have no hopes that uh, we can bring russia to its knees in within years the russian people have suffered look at their history look at stalingrad where they they took a last stand against the the Nazi the uh, Nazi armies that had marched so swiftly across the Russian steppes. Look what happened there. They dug in. They dug in for I think it was four hundred and forty four days. They were under siege. Imagine four hundred forty a year and a third or something like that, under siege. They endure. Based on that, how long might might they be able to endure even this tremendous force of sanctions? It might be a long, long time during which the rest of us will be have to face our own uh, ability or inability to endure uh, the financial costs. All right, I'm rambling. And then on the other side, Ukraine. Look at look at look at 
what a force of resistance and courage Ukraine is. Uh, just last week, uh, I found myself watching a documentary on Netflix called Winter on Fire. And it was about the, uh, the terribly bloody uprising or resistance by the uh, Ukrainian people in uh, the winter of 2013 to 2014. It's, uh, it's not easy to watch. My wife uh, had to bail. She couldn't keep watching it, but it was, um, it's just awe-inspiring uh, what the Ukrainian people can, the, f- the force of resistance they have when they are pushed to the, to the limit. And they prevailed in that. Uh, and so they had, what is some seven years of relative freedom, democracy, until uh, this this winter. So, you know, that old phrase, uh, an irresistible force meeting an immovable object. I think that's what we're seeing here. What will give? Who will give? How will this play out? I heard the other day that it's from some good source, an expert, who said they're predicting that this will last 10 to 20 years. How can we get our minds around that? Uh, Just yesterday, I was doing a modest workout in fitness room. And uh, as I was standing, I had the TV on. I was watching the CNN, the coverage of the war. And uh, as I was exercising, as I was uh, pushing some weights, and a young guy came up and said, uh, sorry, uh, do you mind if I change the channel? And without hesitating, I said, I'm watching this. And he said, okay, sorry, sorry. And uh, he retreated. And I said, I'm just going to be a few more minutes anyway. And so when I finished up, I uh, said, it's all yours. And and then he kind of apologetically said, yeah, I said, it's just, uh, I just don't want to watch this. And it got me thinking, uh, do we not want to watch any coverage of this? How much do we watch? When we turn away from the TV coverage, are we doing so out of just wanting to avoid the uncomfortable truth? It's, uh, it certainly takes us out of our comfort zone if we're watching what's happening there. It makes it all too real. Yes, there must be there are people, sensitive people who can justifiably make the decision not to have all that, all those images in their minds and would never, never find fault with that. But um, it's just worth asking oneself if you turn away from it, 
why, why you're doing that. Again, the problem of, of information, what do we know? At least the, the decision makers, the heads of state and, and military commanders, at least they, they know a lot more than we do. But uh, I, I, for myself, I do, I do want to stay somewhat informed and to watch a little bit each day, half an hour maybe of, of the news, the, the images, TV coverage of the, of the war. Uh, and as I turn this over in my mind, uh, after I had this little friendly encounter with this guy, uh, the words that came to my mind uh, were that of uh, E.M. Forster, uh, who was the, he was the author, he's an English fiction writer who wrote uh, A Room with a View and A Passage to India. And he said something that in its very brevity is powerful. He said, only connect. Only connect. Don't, let's not wall ourselves off. Let's not bury our heads in the sand. Well, that's one. That's one position. And I would never venture to say that it's the only one. So here we are, way out on a limb. So far, we remain safe here in our our country, our country isolated, protected. Uh, but who knows what might happen from this? There are very informed people who say this could be World War III. Remember, World War World War One started with the some obscure assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in the Balkans, and look what that became. We don't know where this is going, and it's all the more uh, mysterious when you have this this evil. I'll say it, evil man uh, at the head of this immense. Country, what is it, 11 time zones? Who knows what might come from this? So in the meantime, of course, I will echo what Sensei said. Our job is to, to change the words a little bit, our job is to not flee into our thoughts. Uh, but as he said, stay present. Uh, there's no better advice I think then to say we have to keep sitting. That's where it starts. Keep sitting. That's how our best shot at not getting bogged down in our thoughts and, and bogged down in abstractions about right and wrong and, and so forth. But to really uh, stay free of those things. You know, we have this, the, the fourth of the, uh, the four vows, the four bodhisattva vows, uh, or the first, rather. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. That question, the question has come so often, uh, what does that mean? 
to liberate all sentient beings. What starts with realizing that there is no being apart from the self, that there is no self and other ultimately. You could say that to, to liberate all sentient beings is to, to recognize that we are all sentient beings. So we have a practice which uh, is more than many people have and uh, we can use that and uh, perhaps remind, remind ourselves that, uh, that not all Russians want this war. Probably not even all of the Russian military wants this war. This is primarily one man who wants this war and uh, maybe some, maybe not all of his senior, senior commanders, his advisors. But uh, let's not make an enemy of the Russian people especially because of the dearth of information they're getting. What do they know? All right, Uh, let's wrap this up. Thanks for listening.